Okay, yet last week, you floated a baseless conspiracy theory that the coronavirus was bioengineered to target Caucasians and black people, but to spare Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people. Mr. Kennedy, your bizarre, unproven claim echoes that same historic slander of labeling Jews and Chinese people as a race, and that Jews, and in this case Chinese people, somehow managed to avoid a deadly illness that targets other groups for death. You do see that, yes or no? You're misstating. No, 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 no. Uh, you I, are... quoted, I quoted what you said earlier, and it, it is directly what you said. So just ask uh, me, no, yes or no. I was, I was describing an NIH-funded study. No, 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 you didn't cite any... I was, as, I was describing an NIH-funded study by Cleveland Clinic reclaiming scientists... Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. You did not you, reference... Reclaiming my time. Published in USC Mr. Medical, Chairman, which is one of... The time is mine. I'm reclaiming it. Please ask the witness to stop talking. You asked me a question. Reclaiming. I, let me, allow me to answer time. my question. Mr. Chairman, I'd like about 10 Ta seconds the back. Time, the you, time belongs. You are slandering me time incorrectly. To the, the time belongs. You're saying is dishonest. Time belongs to the gentlelady from Florida. myself. Mr. Chairman, belongs to the gentlelady from Florida. I'd like 15 seconds back. We will be happy Chairman. to give you that. Thank you so much. A few months ago, Mr. Kennedy, you compared COVID public health policies to barbaric murderous tactics of Nazi Germany, saying that Jewish people in Nazi Germany had more freedom than Americans facing COVID health restrictions. In hindsight, Mr. Kennedy, do you reject this absurd and deeply hurtful and harmful com comparison, or do you still stand by it? Congressman, what you are saying is a lie. That you, you said it. It's, it's, I no, I did not. I never contained, okay. I never, ever Mr. Chairman, I'm happy to answer into the record when Mr. Kennedy said that. I reclaim my time. In discussing COVID public health measures, you made light of the genocide against Jewish people by saying, and I quote, even Hitler's Germany, you could cross the Alps to Switzerland, you could hide in an attic like Anne Frank did. Mr. Kennedy, do you think it was easy for Jewish people to escape systematic slaughter of Nazis, yes or no? Absolutely not. Okay, good. Mr. Kennedy, do you think it was just as hard to wear a mask during COVID as it was to hide under floorboards or false walls so you weren't murdered or dragged to a concentration camp? Yes or no? Excuse me? Uh, that's a question. Yes or no? I didn't hear your question. Okay. I said, do you think it was just as hard to wear a mask during COVID as it was to hide under floorboards or false walls so you weren't murdered or dragged to a concentration camp? Of course not. That's okay. ridiculous. But that's a comparison that you made. I did Mr. not Kennedy, make that comparison. Were the measures taken to contain the spread and fatalities related to COVID in any way at all comparable to the murder of 6 million Jews, yes or no?
Welcome back. Another episode of Our Interesting Times. It's my pleasure of Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the show. Of course, he's the editor of Culture Wars magazine and the author of many books, uh, including The uh, Dangers of Beauty, The Conflict Between Mimesis and Concupiscence in the Fine Arts, and the soon to be released The Holocaust Narrative, which uh, hopefully uh, end of August, early September. Dr. Jones, how are you doing this evening? Good, Kim. Good. We should be on cue here because we we just had, we just had a rehearsal due to technical difficulties, <laughs> but I had you back on. Uh, I'll have you back on to discuss this. Uh, well, you were recently defamed by the Anti Defamation League. Yeah, they, they accused you of being an anti semite, particularly a racial anti semite, which is peculiar because, uh, well, one thing is everyone familiar with your work knows you make that distinction. Uh, but I'll uh, I guess being defamed by the Anti Defamation League isn't quite the contradiction that most people think it is because that's their business. But I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, so this controversy started on on Twitter, I believe, uh, where uh, suddenly the ADL suddenly announces they have a, a new uh, profile of me, and so you go to this thing. They used to the ADL used to say E. Michael Jones is not a racist, so this time they say, well, we used to say E. Michael Jones wasn't a racist, but now we have evidence that he is, and then they come up with this quote. Uh, it's basically. Uh, the Jew has bad DNA. Uh, this is a form of biological determinism. He's determined by his DNA. Ah, we caught him red-handed. He's admitting that he's a racist. Well, no. They unfortunately, they for them, they stupidly listed the podcast where I said this. Mm-hmm. And the podcast, if you go to that, this is exactly what my uh, assistant did. Uh, reposted the podcast, and if you go to that, it, it's he asked me a question. He says, "So, Doctor Jones, what is the classic expression of anti-Semitism?" I said, "Well, it's that Jews have bad DNA, and they're determined by their DNA, and it's a kind of bi- biological determinism." And then I go on to say, uh, "I think that this is really stupid. This is not my position. Uh, it has no relevance whatsoever to." Uh, any period before uh, the late 19th century, when it was invented, the term anti-Semitism was invented, and it can't explain what happened at the time of the Gospels, which is basically there are two groups of Jews who share the same DNA, who are battle. I said duking it out uh, over uh, whether Jesus Christ is the Messiah or not. One group says uh, wants to kill him; the other group says that they accept him as the Logos incarnate. Uh, that's 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 what I said. Now, at another point, I, uh, Andrew Torba jumped into this thing and started talking about how, you know, uh, the, the the Jews uh, are antithetical to what Christians believe. And then uh, Greenblatt says, this is anti-Semitic to say that. And then I jump in. I say all the foundational texts support what Andrew Torba said. Uh, and so I said, at, at this point, I said, uh, he sailed into dangerous waters, and now he's in a bind. So it's one or the other. Uh, is are, When you say, when you're criticizing me, are you saying that I'm anti-Jewish? If you're saying that, I'll agree with you. I am anti-Jewish, and I'm anti-Jewish because I'm a Catholic. And all of the foundational texts of my religion are anti-Jewish. The Jews say this, they, they rant about the Gospel of St. John. They want to prevent the Gospel of St. John from being read at uh, uh, Easter Triduum liturgies. We all know this. No, aren't, aren't, the same, sorry, aren't the Jewish anti-Catholic? Yeah, well, that's the other side. <laughs> so, yeah. 
why is that why is that okay and this is yeah. not okay yeah so, so okay on the one hand if i'm anti-jewish i have no choice in the matter because i am a catholic and i profess the catholic faith as handed down from the apostles and the, the, it includes seminal statements like uh saint paul saying that the jews are the people that killed christ and they are enemies of the entire human race well, I, I know, you know Jews aren't going to be happy when they hear that. They weren't happy back then. They're not going to be happy now. But it's not anti-Semitism because there's nothing biological about this. Okay? So that's on the one hand. On the one hand, uh, they, uh, if they're saying I'm anti-Jewish, I, I, I am. Because as a Catholic, I have to be anti-Jewish. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you're saying I'm an anti-Semite, well, that's false. And you you admitted that it was false. You admitted, first of all, you admitted that this is the real definition of anti-Semitism because you used it to defame me. <laughs> if it weren't the real definition, mm -hmm. you couldn't have used it to defame me. The only problem is I don't hold it. And so when Mike uh, is my assistant, po posted the uh, original interview, well, he's, it begins by him saying, so Dr. Jones, what is the... Definitely the classic definition of anti-Semitism. And I said, well, it's Jews have bad DNA and they're determined, their behavior is determined by their DNA. It's biological determinism. And then I go on to say, but that's not my position. That's ridiculous. It doesn't explain anything. Uh, I never held it and so on and so forth. So they deliberately misrepresented the quote and they got caught with their pants down. And so that uh, made uh, Jonathan Greenblatt then go say, issue another statement saying that uh, we miss the uh, the ADL mistakenly identified uh, E. Michael Jones as a racial, a racist uh, anti-Semite. But haven't they been following you for decades? Familiar with your work? So how can they make that mistake? It's not a mistake. There is one guy at the ADL whose full-time job is to listen to every damn thing I ever said on the internet and every word I've written. They have plenty of money. They've got one. There's at least one guy whose full time job is that. So it was colossally stupid, especially in the light of all the abuse that I've taken from the white boys. Mm -hmm. They've seen that every time I write something for the Uns Review, that some white boy gets on the com box. You never know their real names, you know, and says Jones is a race denier. Well, they know that. Everybody knows that. Anybody who knows anything about what I've said knows my position. So the, the, the effrontery, the chutzpah of the ADL to think that they could get away with this is, is stunning. But they fell right into a trap of their own making. Yeah, it's, um, again, the distinction that you've made several, uh, commented on several times, meaning that the anti-Semitism, uh, you know, that was, uh, I guess, instantiated in the 20th century, like in the Third Reich, was developed with Wilhelm Marr. But, but he was a, a lapsed Catholic, right? And he was, uh, and so he didn't like the religious distinction. So no, developed... I'm not sure whether he was, I'm sure he was baptized as a Christian. I don't Christian, know whether he was okay. Catholic or a Protestant. Uh, but, but he was he disillusioned was... with the 1848 revolution, right? That was his... He was a revolutionary yeah. in 1848. And he felt that the Jews, he was in Hamburg at the time, and he felt that the Jews betrayed the revolution and he, he inquired this intense hatred of the Jews as a result of that. And over the course of the latter half of the 19th century, uh, all of this anti-Jewish literature started to appear, a lot of it in France, uh, uh, as a part of the analysis of the French Revolution. 
and and uh, Mar was simply following in. Well, I mean, it's coming around at the same time. And it got so intense that the Vatican felt that they had to step in and deal with the issue. And so Civiltà Cattolica issued yeah. a three-part series on the Jewish question in, in 1890, where they again substantiated what I said. This is crucial because thanks to the Va Vatican Council, Vatican II, Nostra Aetate, we uh, they played right into their hands. When the Nostra Aetate said, the church opposes all forms of anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. Well, they never defined it. When they said that, I guarantee you what they said was exactly what I said uh, about biological determinism, because there are so many passages elsewhere that said it, but they didn't specify it in the document, and the Jews pick it up and run with that. Oh, they're against, don't you know that the church is against all forms of anti-Semitism? That means you have to accept anything that the ADL says about you and your religion. Well, this is preposterous, and it's time to clear the air. This is not going to go away. I'm talking to my Catholic brothers here, who are uh, especially those Catholic brothers who feel it is their obligation as pious Catholics to impose Jewish thought taboos on fellow Catholics. Uh, they, and I'm talking to the bishops. How long is it going to take before the church clarifies that document and comes up with its own definition of anti-Semitism? So God got tired of waiting. And so he brought out of the, the Jews now have come up with the definition of anti-Semitism, which is my definition, mm -hmm. which is biological determinism. If you espouse that, you're a racist. And I don't care what they say about you, okay? Okay? But if you're anti-Jewish, then you're not an anti-Semite because it is not racial. The anti-Jewish critique of the Gospels is not racial. And so if they accuse you of being an anti-Semite because you're quoting St. Paul or St. Peter, you can sue them now because they've admitted that anti-Semitism is a biological term. You know, isn't it also, it's, it's more important than ever because the accusation of anti-Semitism, although it's at this point rather sharp one or threadbare, people kind of roll their eyes at it. Uh, the White House has, has announced a national strategy to combat anti-Semitism. And uh, in many cases, laws are being passed or people are suffering ostracism or the reputations are being ruined. And uh, it, it's not uh, too far off. Maybe people actually be thrown into jail, supposedly uh, being anti-Semitic. But when the definition is so broad, it just now it just means criticism of of Jew of a particular Jew or Jewish organization, or an acknowledgement of Jewish power and a criticism how that power is is exercised. And then that itself is not racial anti-Semitism. It's simply it's anti-Jewish or critical of 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 Jews or, or a particular group of Jews who enjoy uh, inordinate power and privilege in our society. Right. right. So I wrote an article called uh, Biden's Minion. Minion is you need 10 Jews to have a religious service. And immediately got criticized by someone by, who said, this is ridiculous. Here, look at this picture. And there's a picture of the 457 Jews who have jobs in the Biden administration. So it's this is the, uh, they have they're controlling the entire administration. 
Now, is that anti-Semitic to say that there are 457 Jews in the Biden administration? If it's in the Jewish newspaper, they're bragging about it. There's no dispute here about the fact. The fact is clear. We both agree on the fact. It's just that they can brag about it. But if I criticize it, then I'm an anti-Semite. Well, I'm sorry, but this has got to stop. This has got to stop. And the only way I can see this going to stop is through the cunning of reason by having the Jews continually overplay their hand. And this statement that they just got, the Biden administration's far-reaching program to stamp out anti-Semitism is so outrageous that the Congress wouldn't release it until they put a disclaimer saying it has no legal value. Well, that mm -hmm. claim, that disclaimer, isn't worth the paper it's written on because if Debbie Lipstadt is behind this and she wants to make it a criminal offense if you criticize Jews or if you deny that Benjamin Vilkomirsky's name is real, or if you say that Benjamin Vilkomirsky, the author of Fragments, a great Holocaust classic, was a total fraud. His name, he wasn't a Jew. He's a, he's a, a Swiss orphan by the name of Dozecker. And it was exposed on 60 Minutes. Does that mean that Ed Bradley's a Holocaust denier, Debbie? Well, Is also, in jail? Yeah, for saying that this never happened, it also releases a immense amount of funds, like the uh, mobilizing the Department of Interior to raise the consciousness of, uh, of anti-Semitism. You know, uh, you know, they have like plaques in national parks talk about the Holocaust or something, Yellowstone for some reason, and this sort of the indoctrination that's involved in every that. Every single government agency, including the U.S. Department of Agriculture, yeah, including the Forest Service. <laughs> the forest service. What the forest service have to do with anti-Semitism? Is Smokey the Bear an anti-Semite? Yeah, that's yeah. Is it going too far? And I'm saying this is a turning point. The ADL overplayed its hand, and now they are on the defensive. They are well, on the a good example. This was was uh was uh the hearings that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was invited to. I think it was the hearing was on censorship. And you had Debbie, Debbie Washman Schultz uh, invoking anti-Semitism in an attempt to censor Robert F. Kennedy in his testimony regarding censorship, <laughs> talking over him constantly and accusing him of being an anti-Semite. This is anti-Semite and Holocaust are two weapons that get used to silence any dissent on any issue, like the, the trucker strike in mm -hmm. uh, in. Canada, Hong Kong equals Heil Hitler. Any issue, as long as you manipulate it into this uh, corner, then you win every every argument. Now there, there's a, now that you bring him up, this is a, he's a tragic figure, tragic figure. So he issues a statement. He makes a statement at a private dinner. Uh, by, uh, someone's taping his conversation, uh, uh, pr probably uh, without his permission. Where he starts talking about a scientific study and you know the the uh, genetic modification, and it turns out that the the vaccine or whatever uh, uh, doesn't affect Chinese and Jews as much as it does Caucasians and Black people. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they come up with this. I mean, if it's a scientific study, it's this is an after dinner informal conversation is obviously not the place to do it. But anyway, the Jews and by the Jews, I mean, I'm talking about their lackeys in the mainstream media 
they come down on him like a ton of bricks and suddenly he's an anti-Semite. And if you're an anti-Semite, we're not going to allow you to testify before Congress. Is he, anti -Chi is he anti-Chinese too? <laughs> so and, so <laughs> anyway, so at this point, what does he, what happens here? Rabbi Shmuley Boti comes to the rescue. Rabbi Shmuley tweets, I know Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and he's no anti-Semite. And Kennedy immediately falls in to the oldest trick, falls for the oldest trick in the book. It's called good cop, bad cop. So the bad cop or the Jews that control the mainstream media who call him an anti-Semite, then the good cop shows up and says, no, no, there's a big mistake. He's not an anti-Semite, I'm a rabbi. Well, at that point, uh, Rabbi Botik has just captured Robert F. Kennedy. Mm -hmm. And Robert F. Kennedy now is a prisoner of the man who just rescued him. And he can't talk about uh, the fundamental issue of our age, the fundamental political issue of our age, which is Jewish control of our government, which I've already adverted to. Oh, Bobby can't talk about it. He just got captured by the, by the good cop. Yeah, I'm the number one, I guess... Uh organizations promoting censorship is the ADL. Absolutely. You know, which is a, obviously the Jewish organizations, organized Jewry that's spearheading that. And of course they can indirectly do it by invoking anti-Semitism, accusing anti-Semitism to frighten you into submission and in silence, you know, uh, controlling the narrative, if you will, with that accusation. Um, and yeah, he's sort of captured by it. He's he's a prisoner of it. Like as 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 is the entire nation. Did you see the um uh Congress passed a resolution four twelve to nine declaring Israel not to be a racist state, uh, in response to a congresswoman's uh, accusation that it is an apartheid racial state. Yeah. Although it is by definition an an ethno state. That's Look, <laughs> it is. I mean, the opinion of the powerful. Yeah. It's correspondence between the mind and the idea if it's the mind and the idea it's obvious a racist state okay it's obvious that they're persecuting and murdering palestinians and so mm -hmm. on and so forth depriving of their land and property and so on and so forth but that's that's the basic contest uh and it's been forced on us by the jews who feel that they have jewish privilege and that whatever they say is true because they are powerful well the irony is that as they um talk constantly about white supremacy and white racist uh well i guess the uh only true white supremacy out there is jewish supremacy because they're you know they have white skin you know so i mean the true white supremacy is jewish supremacy and the privilege they enjoy uh just, what was recently exposed with the um uh uh that litigation regarding harvard and i think unc uh, particularly ivy league schools that have exposed that the primary uh, beneficiary of, of affirmative action in recent years have, have been Jews uh, uh, and the primary victims are whites and Asians and they've successfully taken over the Ivy League schools and they've used that to to increase the uh, number of, of, of Jewish students who aren't qualified actually. If you just went by testing and grades, the biggest increase would be Asians followed by whites and the biggest decrease would be blacks, Hispanics and then Jews. But they've been able to maneuver that and to take over those uh, the Ivy League uh, schools. At least the seven or of eight of them have Jewish presidents, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the question so, is, are Jews white? Well, if it's convenient, then yes, they yeah. will be white. 
uh, uh, if it's not convenient, then they will not be white. So it's inconvenient uh, to say that when you're applying to Harvard to say you're white because you're going to be discriminated against. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you claim that you're uh, a, a Jew. And so therefore, you avoid those those quotas. But it appears they're not quite as clever as they used to be. I mean, they used to be very good at their propaganda and working behind the scenes. And, you know, this recent your recent run with the ADL and Jonathan Greenblatt shows that they're just getting kind of reckless and stupid. I guess that comes with uh, with inordinate power and privilege. They don't have to be as smart as they used to be. I, I was uh, talking about August. Yeah, the uh, the there's been a uh, they don't seem quite as clever or as smart as they used to be because I guess maybe because of, of privilege and lack of adversity. So they've I guess it comes with uh, with uh, yeah, with chutzpah. They get reckless <laughs> with these things. I think the, there was a change when Jonathan Greenblatt took over. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, it's because uh, Abe Foxman was a Catholic. That's, That's right. why. That's why he was different. Did you know that Abe Foxman was a Catholic? Yeah, he was baptized in, in Poland because he was adopted by a Catholic family during World War II, right? Right. And we know that baptism leaves an indelible mark on the soul. Mm -hmm. This is what led to that whole uh, Mortara case in the 19th century, which I think uh, uh, Spielberg was thinking of making a movie out of. I don't know, but it, it, it makes it, it. I always thought he was a, a flaming ideologue until. I got a whole until I started to hear Jonathan Greenblatt, mm -hmm. and uh, even the Jews are upset with Jonathan Greenblatt. Lyle Leibovitz, what was the last thing? It was the Kanye thing, yeah, where he completely overreacted, and then there was the Kyrie thing, which was a really bad case of overreaction. Basically, killed what was left of the Black Jewish Alliance. Uh, drew everyone's attention to the fact that the NBA is Black people run by owned by Jews. Who tell them what they're allowed to think. Uh, but anyway, Lyle Libel had said that the ADL should be abolished because it's making Jews look bad. Well, that may be the whole purpose of the ADL. The purpose of the ADL may be, aside from money laundering and, and uh, keeping criminal Jewish criminals out of jail and, and uh, having them helping people like Mo Dallas go legit after he gives them lots of money, uh, the, the, the main purpose may be creating anti-Semitism. That may be that may be the main main purpose of the anti-defamation league. In other words, creating animosity toward Jews so that they justify their existence and then can turn to the Jews and say, see, we told you so. See, we told you there's uh, an uptick. There was a definite uptick in anti-Semitism. Every time Jonathan Greenblatt opens his mouth, there's an uptick in anti-Semitism, if that's what you want to call it. Well, hasn't that been sort of been a rabbinical strategy since the you know the Talmud was first was codified? That's something I don't know, but I, it seems to be the strategy now. Promote bad behavior to uh, to create a reaction to create group cohesion. Uh, uh, Lenin, I mean, Lenin was technically not a Jew, but he was certainly a manifestation of the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Mm -hmm. Job was to make things worse. Uh, because uh, that would lead to revolution, and that was the goal. You know, mm -hmm. so the, the, the Jews have this uh, reflexive uh, tendency to uh, Marxism, uh, because it's a manifestation, one of the classic manifestations of the Jewish revolutionary spirit, and they they all carry that with them, uh, not genetically, by the way, <laughs> but they carry <laughs> this narrative and these these ideas with them and pass well, them you, off. You, you, your book is the Jewish revolutionary spirit, not the Jewish revolutionary gene. 
Right. That's exactly right. It's a spirit. And it means you don't necessarily have to be Jewish to have that spirit, uh, you know, uh, to you to embrace that spirit, that spirit, you know, uh, 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 take take you over because there are plenty of non-Jews who advance the Jewish revolutionary cause, you know. Right. So, you know, the Puritans were a classic example of Mm -hmm. Judaizers who acted like Jews, even though they they technically weren't. Calvinism Mm -hmm. is a form of Judaizing and so on. Bolshevism. You don't have to be. uh, uh, The the whole point of Bolshevism was anti-ethnic. This is Trotsky would insist upon this. Mm -hmm. This is internationalism. I'm not a Jew. I'm a revolutionary. Well, the Jew is a revolutionary, and you're just manifesting in a different way now, consonant with the age, with the zeitgeist, which was materialism at that time. Yeah, and of course, Zionism develops in the age of of uh, biological. You know, the 19th century, we're into like genetics and race, and they say they uh, sort of the pseudoscience of race was developing. And in the 19th, and, in the 19th century. I, like the, uh, the Jews living in Germany, they could not have been, uh, they were certainly affected by the, the unification of Germany, the creation of the German nation, and so on and so forth. That was in the air at that time, and there, Herzl is just imitating what he sees everywhere else. If the Germans have their nation, why can't the Jews have their, their own nation? Mm-hmm. And so on and so forth. Did you... um? Uh, catch uh, President Herzog speaking before Congress, Israeli president? He broke the record. <laughs> was it? record. it was 30 standing ovations. I 30. Mean, pretty, pretty soon, whenever a Jew shows up in Congress, no one will be able to sit down. It might be, because at the same time, there's an article where someone re- uh, said, represented, or uh, rec- uh, sorry, uh, recommended that uh, ecstasy be used to combat anti-Semitism. <laughs> was that in the was it the Ford article in the Ford? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, yeah. Uh, you can get some renounce their neo-Nazi positions by giving them uh, ecstasy and makes them all loving. And uh, maybe that's what's uh, everyone in, in the Capitol Hill is on right now. But uh, yeah, he uh, he addressed Capitol Hill. Uh, I guess a joint session. As you mentioned, 30 standing ovations broke uh, Netanyahu's record. Uh, this was marking the 70th anniversary of Israel. And he, um, in his summary of his remarks, this is uh, rather, uh, well, chutzpah, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. uh, he accused Iran of uh, prolonging the suffering in Ukraine. What? I don't understand. I, don't know. I read that. I- Iran is adding to fuel to the disastrous fire and suffering in Ukraine, Herzog said. The well, world cannot remain indifferent to the Iranian regime's call to wipe Israel off the face of the map, tolerating this call and Iran's measures to realize in its inexcusable moral collapse. Backed by the free world, Israel and the United States must act forcefully together to prevent Iran's fundamental threat to international security. Now, I don't understand even t- how he could make that argument, but he did. I'm reading it. I'm, I'm just trusting what I'm reading. I didn't hear it. I- make a stab at this i think that iran is producing drones and that the the russians are buying drones from the iranians okay uh but it was the jewish neocons that provoked the war and have prolonged we don't we don't, we don't bring polite people don't say things like that this is obviously a jewish operation from beginning to end so do i do, do i'm sorry do does iran own blackrock <laughs> i mean it's, it's like 
I had I have a uh, uh, went to the dentist and the hygienist as a Ukrainian. She said two years ago, they, the Iranian uh, or I'm sorry, the Ukrainian government passed a law saying allowing uh, foreigners to buy Ukra up uh, land in Ukraine. Well, guess who that's going to benefit? Yes. Larry Fink of BlackRock is going to come up with a plan for reconstructing uh, the Ukraine after the war, uh, which means he'll get to buy up distressed assets at pennies on the dollar. Well, that's an old that's an old business model, isn't it? <laughs> that that's exactly a replay of what happened to the Soviet Union after the after its collapse. Yeah, uh, that's what uh, Jeffrey Sachs did, standing at the side of Boris Yeltsin. That's what he orchestrated there, the looting of the Soviet Union. And now they're going to do the same thing with the Ukraine, because that's the kind of thing they do. During the speech, Representative Jerry Nadler held up an Israeli flag as Herzog spoke. Um, Wait a minute. Is this dual loyalties here? Well, that's anti-Semitic. You make that accusation. <laughs> saying dual loyalty would a big, be a big step in the right direction. Yeah, this point would be an improvement, right? <laughs> would be an improvement. I mean, compared, this sounds like Israel first to me. So I, again, at the conclusion of the Biden Minion article, I said, we have to draw certain conclusions here. Jews cannot represent the American people. They can get elected to some type of office. As soon as they get into office, they will only represent Jewish interests, if we're lucky. And they will probably be completely antagonistic to the interest of the actual people of that state or, or country. I can give you example. Well, we, we've already been through this with uh, Josh Hawley. Well, uh, other than than uh, you know, several centuries and not millennia of experience in history, what what evidence do you have for that accusation? What, <laughs> what I just said. <laughs> yes, it's like, yeah, but that isn't that. I mean, it's, it's obviously they're holding up an Israeli flag, a con a Congressman Nadler. Wasn't it Schumer who said he's a Schumer for he's a soldier for Israel? Yeah. And nobody, uh, okay, someone were to hold up an Iranian flag or a Palestinian flag. Mm -hmm. Suppose that were to happen, there would be all kinds of consternation. This has got to stop. I think the politicians are the last ones to know that everyone's getting tired of this. Every place I go, every place I go, people are talking about the Jewish question. You mentioned they, the tweets, uh, Josh Hawley. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Well, I mean. Uh, the, what is the gist of what Josh Hawley said to Merrick Garland? Basically, oh, yeah. we don't have the rule of law here. You, As soon as you got in power, you used the rule of law to basically attack people you don't like. And since abortion is a fundamental Jewish value, uh, you go after people who are pro-life. And so there was that ridiculous case of uh, the Justice Department and the FBI going after John Halk. Uh, father of seven Catholic uh, from Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. a completely trumped up charge that even even Larry Krasner, the DA in Philadelphia, wouldn't wouldn't take seriously. But you get all these feminists. It was a totally female operation. All mm -hmm. women. Uh, if you had a poll, I, if I had to place a bet, I would bet that a lot of these women have had abortions. And once you have an abortion, you become a Jew. You may be baptized a Catholic but you become a Jew because you're a feminist and feminists vote for the Democratic Party and so on and so forth. So they got together in this superheated, uh, hermetically sealed bubble 
of feminist rage because of the guilty guilty conscience. And they say, yeah, this is, we're going to take it to this guy and they bring it to court and it gets laughed out of court in 15 minutes. Well, they're out of touch with reality. Mm -hmm. Merrick Garland is out of touch with reality because now the FBI is completely weaponized. The Justice Department and the FBI are completely weaponized to go after Catholics and overlook uh, the Jewish crimes of uh, financial malfeasance, for example. That's so right. The they, book, they, they just dropped the charges. At least the, the campaign finance charges against Sam Bankman-Fried have been dropped by the Justice Department. Well, apparently Bankman-Fried is back on the hook again. So I thought mm -hmm. it was he got a slap on the wrist, but apparently some judge is going, going to go after him. So... You know, but what it's the exception that proves the rule. He'll probably get off anyway, but that's the type of thing that, that goes on here. The Jew, the, the, these Jews are not capable of representing the American people. They can't do it. All they can do is represent their own interests. And if you don't go along, they say, well, um, okay, we're back. Are you sure the ADL isn't controlling your brain? <laughs> one of those nights between the, the bad weather and my incompetence. It's one of those things. <laughs> so, yeah, you're talking about um, the uh, the uh, 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 Merrick Garland and uh, the uh, – uh, uh, well, no, so we were talking about Josh, Josh Hawley, how, you know, the Mark Hawk case and then uh, Merrick Garland. And just you mentioned uh, Josh Hawley because he did go after Merrick Garland, but he didn't really quite go deep enough. He didn't uh, – why he was target why Merrick Garland's just – didn't didn't identify Garland as a Jew, yes. as someone who's traditional animus against Catholics, and as a Jew is incapable of enforcing the law equitably as the law was intended. But we know why that is. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that Josh Hawley sent this tweet out. This is actually three years ago, uh, almost four years ago, actually. You have to carry me out on a slab before I compromise my defense of the Jewish people, their greatness, their history, their safety, and their state of Israel. That's the Christian Josh Hawley. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is ridiculous. We're back in, in in Never Never Land with Robert F. Kennedy. You know, I support Israel's right to exist. Well, did Israel support your uncle's right to exist? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. This is he's lost contact with reality. As soon as you get on this issue, all contact with reality goes out the window. Well, he's he grew up and came of age in Zionist-controlled America, so it just. So did um, I'm sorry. So did I. Uh, yeah, um, uh, but you're not a liberal Democrat, you know. Well, so, you know, I, I'm I've made contact with reality. Maybe it's be, I don't, yeah. look. I, I God bless Robert F. Kennedy. I just wish he he'd understand what's going on. Maybe you know those 14 years when he was a heroin addict should have spent time doing research. I don't know, but. The, the the political uh, arena is still living in a world where they've lost contact with reality. The fundamental reality is Jewish control of our government. Those you, those four hundred and fifty seven Jews standing on the White House step, you let them in, and they immediately want to make criticism of Jews a crime, mm -hmm. and jail uh, for saying something they don't like. That's what happens when you allow them to take control of the Biden administration. We've already talked about it. Yep. And they can have a, a national strategy to counter anti-Semitism, and it's all Jews strategizing. They don't bring anyone in to talk about, well, maybe there's 
whatever resentment or animosity or controversy there's regarding Jews and their role in government and our society and economy and culture, uh, maybe there's a, another side to the story here. Maybe uh, some some criticism and some negative feedback would be a healthy thing, but to but to accept that would be accept that you harbor some responsibility. Yeah. Uh, for the criticism. National strategy to counter Jewish influence in the media, government, and uh, every place else. What yeah. about national strategy? It, to even to say it is, yes. uh, it, you can see the Jews ripping their garments and saying, out of his own mouth, he condemns himself. Yes. You know? <laughs> it's even anti Semitic to think that, even in spite of all the evidence that we've just produced to the contrary. Yeah. And they, in order to protect their interests, they mobilize against things like, you know, basic American concepts like free speech and free association, and and um, it, which is it means they're, they're at heart they're anti-American, they're outside the system. They don't. And we have to wake up to this fact, and they should not be allowed to take control of the government and just use it for their interests. That goes against the common good. It's un-American, and it's got to stop. Mm -hmm. Well, there used to be some recognition of this. I mean, that you know, in the past there was like the legions of decency, and uh, uh, but there are reasons why those things work and they don't work anymore, and that had to do with uh, covert psychological warfare that you write about. Which uh, again, people have to think about these things sort of, um, you know, sort of game theory strategizing, and they're not really aware or willing to accept the fact that um, the hidden grammar of American history is ethnic warfare. And you can see that their ethnic their ethnic strategy in promoting their interest uh, uh, when they under under their, the label of liberalism or freedom of speech they'll take over an institution and then once they're in power uh, they they invoke things like hate speech or disinformation to control the narrative to control the you know this is why uh, yeah. Deborah Wasserman Schultz mm -hmm. oh, we're, we're fighting disinformation honey. Who are you to determine what's disinformation? That is the whole point of the hearing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Who gave you uh, uh, absolute power over the narrative so that whatever you don't like is disinformation? See, I, I, I can't believe anybody's that stupid, but maybe she is that stupid or arrogant or whatever. That's precisely the issue. You say it, and so therefore it's true because truth is the opinion of the powerful. Yeah. But when again, when you get it, when you enjoy such privilege for so long, you get reckless and sloppy, and, and you just come across sounding stupid. Uh, like that, that whole the optics of that hearing looks so bad for them, you know, to have him shouting him down and interrupting him, not letting him speak after asking a question. And he had, to, you know, he 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 just had he he took it over. But again, his inability to address the Jewish question, uh, like so many other politicians uh, and pe and people in general. Have created a situation where, again, they they have the ability to uh, to do that very thing, control the narrative, shut things down, uh, and again, it's not even in our political vocabulary to talk about imposing these necessary restrictions or caveats because it's um, well because you, you're by doing that you invite a second Holocaust or something, right? So as soon as you invoke the Holocaust, you win the argument. Mm -hmm. That is the whole point. And the anti-Semitism, the Holocaust, it's the same thing. 
the Holocaust narrative is the official religion of the American empire. And you will be punished as a blasphemer if you criticize it. That's exactly what Holocaust denial is. You know, what does it mean, Debbie? Are you a Holocaust denier? You promoted Will Komierski's book. It's a lie. It never happened. Well, so I'm saying, well, wait a minute. We got to step, step back here. If you're going to make Holocaust denial a criminal offense, which I think is what's coming down the pike, then you're going to have to make Holocaust lying an offense too. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise we can be sent to jail for denying something that never happened. How can that happen? I, if you said Ed Bradley could go to jail because he said uh, Vil Komirsky wasn't even his real name and he wasn't a Jew. That's Holocaust denial. That was a, everyone admitted, Ailey Wiesel, Daniel Jonah Goldhog, and they all said class fragments was a Holocaust classic. That means if you disagree with Vil Komirsky, you're a Holocaust denier. That's you've got you can't go on this way. Mm -hmm. This is completely antithetical to any type of discourse. And like as in so many other issues, Jewish uh, on the back of the Holocaust, uh, Jews or organized Jews, uh, powerful Jews are able to control the narrative, and then they can invoke their status as outsiders and victims. To promote uh, 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 morally subversive or revolutionary ideas, and then you can you sit back and you lament the, these things, like well, they lament the spread of pornography or abortion or degeneracy, even though the Jew, organized Jewry uh, is behind that. Uh, but if you're not willing to address organized Jewish power, you're going to lose in all those issues because you can't address th those people, those organizations. Who are the primary uh, agents or organizations promoting it? Because to address those issues, to address that, makes you an anti-Semite. So you lose on the culture war front as well. Right. And that's what's happened. Yeah. I mean, the biggest tragedy, I think, is the, the the collapse of the Catholic Church's opposition to Jewish sexual deviance, that was symbolized best by the uh, uh, Legion of Decency, which Joe mm -hmm. Breen, uh, he was the head of the production code. And he clearly identified the problem as Hollywood Jews. Yes. Who think about nothing but sex. He said, people who act and think this way should not have to a total monopoly on the films that America see, Americans see. Uh, and so when that collapsed, it collapsed because of Nostra Tante. Yeah. Because of what we just said, the church is opposed to all forms of anti-Semitism. Uh, the, the, the Jews bring up this film called The Porn Broker, which is Holocaust porn. Uh, bare breasts uh, on the screen, you know, breaks the code, and the Catholics don't know what to do. They're, they, I don't know what to do. We, they're our friends. We have to fight anti-Semitism, and the result was the total collapse of any type of opposition to Jewish power. And so, basically, what you have is complete Jewish control of media and entertainment, uh, right. which, which is a powerful uh, propaganda. Propaganda, yeah. That was the beginning. That was the, they yeah. always control Hollywood. Uh, if you say that, you're an anti-Semite. Oh, except that Neil Gobbler said a kingdom of their own, how Jews created Hollywood. So he's allowed to say it. But when William Cash tries to say the same thing, he's an anti-Semite. Mm -hmm. This is the type of ridiculous discourse, rules of discourse that we have. 
but I mean, I, I what what you're saying here is this is in the the book. It's going to be the final chapter of the book talks about uh, a book that came out right after ten years after World War II. It was called Christus in Dachau, Christ in Dachau, by a Austrian priest by Johann Lenz. Uh, he was a priest, a prisoner in Dachau. He uh, spent six and a half, six years, I believe six and a half years there. Um, and the concentration camp, Dachau was the paradigmatic concentration camp at this point. And there was a narrative that was associated with it, which was basically him saying, godlessness created the Third Reich. And we are being punished for turning away from God. But there's a purpose to suffering. And so all of these priests, it was a Catholic operation. Dachau was a, more Catholics than anything else. All the priests were there. It started in 1933. The Jews were minor characters there. If you read the book, the only time Jews are mentioned is they come to the Catholic priest and ask to be baptized. This was the narrative. And it was hijacked. Uh, it came out 55 within three years. The Jews hijacked that narrative when Elie Wiesel uh, got Francois Mauriac to translate his Yiddish memoir, when Die Welt hat geschwiegen, into Night, which is beautiful French. Uh, and now the paradigmatic uh, concentration camp is Auschwitz. This is the hijacking that took place. How the narrative was hijacked. It was a Catholic narrative that made sense out of suffering, and now it's replaced by a Jewish narrative. And the, the moral of the story is God died at Auschwitz. That's the central statement of Elie Wiesel's book. It's propaganda for atheism. And one of the great tragedies of uh, this period, the Catholic Church now, is uh, the fact that students at Catholic high schools are required to read night, which is yes. propaganda for atheism. Yes. I have four four grandchildren who went to a high school in De in Detroit. Every single one of them had to read night at this Catholic high school, and one of my grandchildren had to read it twice. Now, what are you thinking? This is Jewish propaganda for atheism. It's hijacking the narrative of Father Lentz, and the Catholics are going along, docilely going along with this. And if you bring it up to them, the Catholics turn on you and call you an anti-Semite, call me an anti-Semite, as if they're being as exceptionally pious. This is ridiculous. And again, Jews use that perch that they, uh, moral perch that they've that they've uh, assumed to lecture society on their guilt, and then um, mobilize their influence in media. In the finance to advance their agenda, various agendas, which are subversive, you know, yeah, you know, which they brag about, you know. yeah, or shake down money from the German government. Stuart Eisenstadt, one of the great yeah. shakedown artists of all times, who was used to be in the sanctions office at the uh, uh, Treasury Department, uh, is now saying we're going to shake down the government, uh, German government, for a couple more billion dollars. There are more Holocaust survivors now than there were after World War II. And he's expanding the whole uh, the whole uh, uh, de definition to include anything that will put money in the Jews' pocket. Finkel, or Norman Finkelstein exposed this years mm -hmm. ago, called it the Holocaust industry. Well, well if there's one man, the shakedown artist. Stuart, hello. 
Okay, we're back. Just yeah. sorry, okay. the shake that you said the shakedown artist. I'm sorry. Stuart Eisenstadt just wrote an article. I forget where I uh, forget where I saw it. One of these Jewish magazines talking about what great job he's doing, shaking down ever more money from the German government, which goes into the pockets of these Jewish lawyers. Does it ever end? No, it's never good. It's going to continue forever until the German people stand up and say enough is enough. Yeah. We're overthrowing this. Uh, it's going to have to be regime change. Uh, that's what's happening. That's going to happen happen in Germany. If they could do it peacefully by getting the AfD elected, the alternative for Deutschland, that would be good. But it's going to happen one way or the other. Not, it can't go on this way. Yeah, there was some, I think a, a German Jew commented that the alternative for Deutsch, for Germany, uh, the alternative for Deutschland party, if they win elections, uh, that they have to prevent it from getting power to, to save democracy. Yes, <laughs> the next Adolf Hitler, they will trot out the Holocaust narrative yeah. to demonize anybody who threatens their total control over a country like Germany. It's that simple. And uh, the Germans are going to have to wake up to this sooner or later. Well, that's the, again, that's the problem through the Holocaust and through their control of, of media and finance. There's been a, a, a sort of a supersessionism that's occurred culturally in the West. And uh, well, one time the West, the, the, the Christian West uh, was defined by. Um, they looked for the, the death of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ as sort of their, their, their lodestar. And now it's the collective suffering of the Jewish people as told through the Holocaust narrative, which is the lodestar of the West, which is why it's it's enslaved. So this is how the, the Jews have imposed their religion on us, and it's time for us to say, no, we're, we're not going to let this happen. Too much. It's gone too far. Time, mm -hmm. time, time to call it off. Yep. Well, Dr. Jones, thank you for coming back on the show. You're welcome. I know it's kind of rough recording, but we got through it. I think we got a pretty good show in, uh, of course, uh, Culture Wars Magazine, culturewars.com, right? Yes, culturewars.com. Uh, all of my books are available and uh, the soon-to-be-released uh, book on the Holocaust narrative. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. You have a good evening. Thank you, Tim. Take care.